The most important thing about a smudging ceremony in this context is it's a papal endorsement of traditional indigenous spirituality, traditional indigenous spiritual practices. This is Culture at a Crossroads with David Mann. Joining me on the show, we have Michael Swan of the Catholic Register. He is the associate editor and will be accompanying the Pope on his trip across Canada. Michael, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Michael, you've covered the Catholic faith far and wide, and I'm sure along the way you've seen some beautiful sights. And Catholic churches are known for this. What would be the prettiest cathedral or church that you've ever laid sight of? Well, that's a that's a tough call. If I were to talk about the prettiest, there's a church in Montmartre, sort of around the corner from Sacre Coeur. Sacre Coeur is sort of dominates the landscape there. It's it's a big and fairly modern church, though it looks traditional. It's uh, and I don't like it. It's big. It's gaudy. A kind of projection of power, if you like. But around the corner. There's a little church called uh, St. Peter's that dates back to the 6th century. And you have a genuine sense of an intimate space that's created for the presence of Christ. Uh, Hmm. A beautiful church in that sense. Uh, And a surprise, because Montmartre is basically a big uh, tourist trap (laughs) surrounding you. And when you walk into that church, it's not trying to impress anybody. It just is. Interesting how things work out that way. Well, we have now, the- if you're looking for an interesting church in Canada, go to Inuvik, where an old Oblate brother designed a church on the back of a piece of plywood and then built it in the shape of an igloo, the Igloo Cathedral in Inuvik is one of the most extraordinary churches in the Catholic churches in the world, I think. It's amazing. It didn't make it on the Pope's itinerary for his upcoming trip. Well, Inovic is a, a bit of a stretch for an 85-year-old guy with no knees, you know. Let's talk about some of these destinations on his trip. Edmonton, Quebec City, and Iqaluit. Uh, why, why do these get chosen? The reason that uh, the Vatican gives for these choices, and it really is the Vatican who made the choices, is that they wanted locations, two locations, where um, people w- could easily access. So one of the stories I was working on was about busloads of people from all over Western Canada heading for Edmonton, busloads of people from all over Eastern Canada heading to Quebec City. And we're talking busloads of indigenous people, uh, Mm. particularly survivors. And of course, both locations in Edmonton, or rather just 70 kilometers west of Edmonton, is a pilgrimage site of Lac Saint-Anne. And in Quebec City, actually about 30 kilometers, 40 kilometers east of uh, Quebec City is the Basilica of Saint-Anne-de-Beaupré. And St. Anne is a particularly important figure in indigenous Catholic spirituality because St. Anne is the grandmother of Jesus. And grandmothers, the Kukum, are the linchpins of indigenous family life. And strangely, it's one of those few things that actually 
goes across all of the different cultures because of course we're not you know when we talk about indigenous people in canada we're not talking about just one thing the inuit and the anishinaabe are very different people with different cultures and different histories and uh, but the grandmother remains central to their uh, family life to their community structure in all of those uh, settings so the pope is making a pilgrimage with indigenous people to Lac Saint-Anne, to Saint-Anne de Beaupré, and he's fitting himself in to their culture, their spirituality. Do you think Canadians will read into this underlined meaning? Oh, yeah. Well, Catholics will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know that. <laughs> That's no problem. And the Indigenous that he's also trying to reach here, they'll, they'll recognize the significance? Absolutely. To- the Lac Saint-Anne pilgrimage is the largest event Every year in Alberta, thousands of people. I mean, on a single day, maybe 30,000 people uh, on a pre-COVID gather at uh, Lac Saint-Anne. You don't hear about it in mainstream media. You don't hear about it, you know, in the white population because it's an indigenous thing. Remember that the first indigenous Christians in North America were the Mi'kmaq. 460 years ago, communities there regularly make pilgrimages to saint Anne de Beaupré, a fixture in the calendar. Oh, very interesting. And I was reading a piece over at the Catholic Register that detailed how the smudge ceremony will work. Yeah. The process of smoldering cedar, sage, sweetgrass, and tobacco. And I've seen a little bit of this up close at a church service on an indigenous reserve not too far from where I live. Could you elaborate on, on why this protocol is still conducted and how this too will symbolize the Pope's understanding of, of where he's coming exactly in Canada at this time? In Catholic churches across Canada, this is a practice that's in fact growing and is embraced beyond the Indigenous communities among people who have come to see themselves as you know, treaty partners and uh, in parishes where there has particularly since last year uh, been a growing sense that we've, we've lived our lives in sort of uh, blissful ignorance of original people of this country. So, um, and it's a practice that fits very well with Catholic practices. If you were to attend a very solemn and traditional high mass at a cathedral, you would see incense right, at the would. very beginning of the uh, of a mass. The celebrant would incense the altar, which symbolizes the presence of Christ, and then incense the people who are also the body of Christ. So, it fits there. But the most important thing about a smudging ceremony in this context is it's a papal endorsement of traditional indigenous spirituality, traditional indigenous spiritual practices. It says that, you know, Christianity as it grew and began to spread across Europe, it picked up all kinds of culture from the different people that became Christian. Where do you think 
Christmas trees came from. You know, every Easter, we light an Easter fire. That's an Irish thing. <laughs> you know, we enculturated in Europe to a huge extent. Why wouldn't that process continue in the Americas? Why wouldn't we, why wouldn't Christ become flesh in indigenous First Nations Inuit form? Michael, do you anticipate that onlookers to these masses that the Pope will be having in these various locations, those various locations, those who may practice some form of indigenous spirituality that is maybe not as directly connected to Christian will be intrigued and, and be more willing to explore this, given the fact that the Pope is endorsing those indigenous practices and that culture that is, that is, is coming with what the Catholics are doing? All kinds of different reactions are possible among people. And, you know, people are individuals. They're not masses. One thing I know is that almost every indigenous person I've ever spoken to who calls himself traditional and has uh, embraced traditional spirituality and distanced themselves from the church was baptized a Catholic. <laughs> Their grandmother was Catholic. Uh, they grew up Catholic. An embrace of traditional spirituality has been uh, a way of claiming identity and in many cases, justifiable anger at the church. Mm. Will this, you know, will Catholic liturgies suddenly change that picture across, you know, Turtle Island? I think sudden shifts are unlikely. Mm -hmm. But I think that if what happens after the Pope goes home to Rome is that the church in Canada follows through and really reconciles, then the church becomes a much more attractive place, not just for indigenous. What does following through for the Catholic Church in Canada look like from your perspective? The first part of that is kind of a, uh, a process of what you might call reparations. What did we do in the residential schools? We took away people's language, their culture, their spirituality. We condemned those things. We took children out of their families, out of their communities, in order to separate them from their language, their culture, their spirituality. So we have to work to restore those things. Part of that is money, okay? So the church across Canada has committed itself to raising $30 million over five years in order to fund projects that will do that. But a much bigger part of that is reorienting the church to embrace these cultures. We've got a lot of Catholics in Canada who are great experts on Celtic Catholicism or on German Catholicism or on Italian Catholicism. We have to get a little closer to home here. We have to embrace the culture that we came to. And so those things don't happen sort of theoretically, doesn't happen in, you know, Catholic scholarship, which is vast, and rich. It happens in relationships, you know, 
white Catholics have to sit down with indigenous Catholics, talk to them, get to know them, go to a baseball game with them, include them in their world, and they will learn things. The Pope has called this a penitential visit. Actually, he calls it a penitential pilgrimage. It's not, this isn't grandpa dropping in on the kids. It's not a visit. It's a pilgrimage which is a spiritual practice deeply embedded in historical Christianity. It is part of Christian practice in every culture, in every part of the world. It is prayer embodied. It is prayer as a journey. And so that's an important signal. Even more important, by calling it a pilgrimage, he's connecting it with what the church is. At the Second Vatican Council, Council Fathers, thousands of bishops from all around the world, redefined the church, the pilgrim people of God. This way, for the last 50 years, this way of thinking of what the church is has become embedded in Catholic thought. So by calling it a pilgrimage, the, the Pope, who is the symbol of unity for the church, is bringing the church to the indigenous people. Calling it penitential is also important because the word penitential is related to the word repentance. And the idea of repentance is not just feeling sorry that you did something bad. It's a turning, conversion. It's a new beginning. So both those words are important. Hmm. The egregious acts that have been committed, you've already alluded, reparation is not simply an overnight fix. What's your assessment of what has transpired from the Vatican going back to that papal apology a couple of months ago? Were you satisfied with the remarks that were given to the Vatican then? Satisfied? I, I was actually kind of surprised that he, he took that step at that point. That what step? Not that he issued an apology in Rome. My expectation going to Rome was that that apology would come in Canada that he would express sorrow, that he would express his closeness to the people was a given, but that he would apologize was a step beyond what I expected in Rome. He's, of course, he's smarter than me because what he's done is by placing that apology in advance, he's given himself the opportunity now to deepen that apology, to broaden that apology, which is what I expect to see happen when he visits the site of the Ermanskan Indian Residential School in Maskawichis. Um, I expect that you will hear a much more fulsome apology there on uh, July 25th. What other expectations do you have for this special visit well, the, that happened uh, since 2002? Actually, Canada... People forget how lucky we have been in terms of papal visits. We, for a small country, we've we've had the Pope a lot. <laughs> you know, eighty four with Pope John Paul II, eighty seven with Pope John Paul II, two thousand and two with Pope John Paul II. I don't think you could find another country of less than forty million that has had a papal visit this often. This visit is very different. Nineteen eighty four was a a celebration. It was a kind of declaration of the success and vitality of the church in Canada. 
1987 was a very specific kind of visit because he was making up for a part of the visit that he wasn't able to do in 1980. He was to fly to Fort Simpson in the Northwest Territories. Fog kept him grounded. And he promised then that I will come back. And when he came back, actually what he did was he made a very strong statement that repudiated the doctrine of discovery and made exactly that point we were talking about earlier about enculturation at that time. He spoke about how Christ is incarnate in indigenous people and that Christ in his body is indigenous. Now, in 2002, once again, we had a big celebration. Uh, this was an opportunity for the church in Canada, in North America, really, to reposition itself in relation to a new generation of people. But people often forget that part of that repositioning was carried forth in terms of the church's relationship with Indigenous people. The World Youth Day Cross, it always begins its pilgrimage from Rome. It was taken to Rome and presented to uh, Pope John Paul by Indigenous youth. That cross was carried across northern Canada to many Indigenous communities. The big lasting project of the World Youth Day, sort of the, the marker of World Youth Days here in Toronto, is an Anukshuk that sits uh, on the shores of Lake Ontario. The Indigenous were a huge part of 2002. This visit, however, is different. This is a penitential pilgrimage. It is a recognition that the work that was alluded to in 84 and 87 in 2002 remains unfinished. And we need to finish what we started. In large part, that means including in a more serious way ordinary Catholics who sit in pews and who think of this as a problem that bishops have to solve. So when Pope Francis comes here, he will be talking about synodality, which has been a major project of the Francis papacy. It is an opening up of the church, ordinary human conversation to a way of being that is less hierarchical, less obsessed with the exercise of power and the rigid forms of a legalistic church, a clerical church, a church that lives for its incarnation in the people of God. More pastoral in the shepherding component. Certainly more pastoral. That has been part of Francis' papacy from the moment he walked out on the balcony. Remember, he said, Buena sera. Good evening. He talked like a human being, right? Michael, in closing, I want to just broaden this out a little bit more because while the Catholic Church has taken the biggest hit for the residential schools, other churches were involved mm -hmm. in the horrific events that transpired. And this Pope is a little bit different, or, or at least it seems his interpretation of other Christians, there's less of an onus from what I understand to need to convert them to the Catholic Church, how would you describe his relationship with Protestants? Oh, well, I mean, you know, 
Again, it's dangerous to talk about Protestants. There are all kinds of different Protestants. Yeah. Right? Let's, let's focus yeah, on no. evangelicals. That's my. Well, if we're talking about evangelicals, things. remember that the Pope's Argentinian. He's a South American. And South America has seen huge growth in evangelical Christianity. Massive. Absolutely massive. In which many of those churches have preyed upon, have sought to convert Catholics. So when Pope Francis says, you know, I'm not interested in converting evangelicals. I want evangelicals to live their spirituality, to live as good evangelical Christians. It's also a signal to evangelical churches. He wants the same from the evangelical churches. When it comes to sin and salvation in particular, he's okay with the way in which evangelicals I mean, I think he's more interested in virtue than in sin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> An obsession with sin is never very healthy. Not uh, at all. You know, he admires evangelical Christians who pray. He mm -hmm. admires evangelical Christians who take seriously the moral life. He admires evangelical Christians who take charity seriously and give of themselves in the name of Jesus. One of the central concepts in Catholicism is the idea of koinonia, the idea of self-giving at the heart of Christ's saving act. Wherever he sees that, he admires it. Wherever he sees that, he applauds it. Oh, so helpful. And what a big week we have coming up here in Canada. A huge week, a huge week. So um, I do appreciate you making the time for this, Michael. Your contributions are significant and you do a lot of good work over at the Catholic Register. Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you want to go further on the papal visit from Michael's perspective, you can follow his writing at the Catholic Register next week. Will Michael describe Pope Francis's approach as less power-oriented and more pastoral? I think that will be an interesting element to follow this coming week. So much to consider as the Pope goes to these three locations across Canada. I think what stood out to me most from Michael's comments was about Christianity being cultured. It has picked up different practices from people groups along the way. And I think there's something to be said for all Christian denominations to hold fast to conviction, but to bring the message to our indigenous people in a way that is loving and shows that we see them as they uniquely are. Let's all learn from the past and be better for it. Next time on Culture at a Crossroads. A couple years ago, the Prime Minister's aspirations to help students find meaningful work during their first summer of COVID hit a bit of a roadblock. His ties to the internationally renowned charity We ended up costing him and became a bit of a saga. Don't miss my conversation with former board member Tofik Rangwala, who helps us look at We from a different perspective. Craig and Mark Kilberger were cast into the spotlight during what became known as the We Charity Scandal. And so I think a lot of people saw a side of them that involved them testifying and sort of defending their work. And I, I think a lot of people who saw that, but also people in the charitable sector, they find them hard to understand because they have approached charity in many respects with the zeal of people who run a business. Thanks for listening today. A reminder that you can access any of our episodes when you head to the Culture at a Crossroads podcast. We do invite you back next week as we once again explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada, helping to better equip you in following Jesus.